0: Welcome to the battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Ruskin. I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel. Which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is here. Rebecca, welcome. Good to be here. And as always, Robert Craig, our executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good day, everyone. So we are recording. It's a Thursday, a little after nine, which means the hearing, the Kavanaugh hearing has begun, and we want to talk about just how surreal this next 48 hours, Thursday and Friday, and many of you will listen to this on Friday, you know, we're going to find out, you know, if they're going to jam this through, but we're going to we're going to start the show by talking about Kavanaugh and just this insanity that is going on around this uh, whole Supreme Court appointment. We're going to then spend some time, we're going to talk, uh, potentially even talk with Chris Rolf. we're trying to get her, but the this this whole issue is uh, spilled out into the wisconsin race uh yesterday uh, rob brooks uh, stepped down as a, uh, I think he's assistant majority leader uh, in the assembly over issues he had with three state republican state legislators and uh, we'll talk more about that we're gonna have jeff smith on uh running for state senate uh in the eau claire area and i think we've talked a lot about jeff uh, citizen action organizer. And we're going to have a fundraiser for Jeff. We'll talk a little bit more about that. We also have a Fair Maps Town Hall happening in Wawatosa. We're going to be joined at the end of the show by Chris Lennon to talk a little bit more about that event that's coming up on October 6th. We have a couple other issues we might get to, but let's get going. Um, I want to just broadly throw it to our two panelists just to talk about what what they see is the most important things as we sit here. We, we don't know what's happening already, but have a pretty decent sense. It's almost like a really surreal, very real apprentice show is about to like happen. And by the way, Trump is a complete wild card who could do anything, right? Like literally at any point, just say, you know what, you're out of here, right? Or jam it through anyways. Rebecca, why don't we start with you, um, your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I actually, I thought against any reason or real evidence all day yesterday that uh, the president was going to pull Kavanaugh's nomination so we wouldn't have this, you know, what is a horrible experience for a lot of people, but like, quote unquote, great TV, um, and I think will be really damaging for the Trump administration. But uh, as as we're taping right now is concurrent with Dr. Ford's testimony. So it's, it's happening. Um, and, you know, I think what, what's really interesting is, you know, as of yesterday, it looked like Um, even before Dr. Ford's testimony that the Republicans may not have the votes, that they might have it to get out of the Judiciary Committee, but that we have two Republican senators who are retiring um, and have nothing to lose. And Senator Flake gave uh, one of his typical speeches on the floor yesterday about civility and and whatnot. Um, And then we have Murkowski and Collins who are, you know sometimes considered swing votes. I don't really consider them real swing votes, but every once in a while we'll break away from the Republican delegation. And they both have said that they are waiting to hear, you know, the testimony. So as all of that is happening, we had um, additional allegations come out against uh, Judge Kavanaugh. We had um, Michael Avenatti, um, who, you know, is the now famous lawyer, um, you know, come forth with the allegation of his client. Um... Regarding uh, behavior at Georgetown Prep and then we had an anonymous allegation that came out that seems a little bit harder to understand what that's about or where that's coming from. Regardless, you know, I think there are two really substantial allegations. We've got, um, you know, Dr. Ford again, who's testifying today. Um, And then we have Debbie Ramirez, who has called for FBI investigation, whose lawyer has indicated that she is not not willing to testify, but has not been invited. In fact, they had a phone call scheduled Tuesday night with the um, both majority and minority Republican and Democratic caucuses of uh, the committee and the Republican side just didn't even get on the phone call. So that's kind of the lay of the land. As of taping this morning, it's Thursday at 9 a.m.
0: Yeah, Robert, your thoughts?
2: Well, obviously, the audience has a huge advantage over us because they know how the hearing went today. Uh, So having some humility about that, I would just say that, obviously, the the whole context of this is a power grab in the first place. We have to understand that this has to do with the unprecedented denial of President Obama's rightful appointment to the uh, Supreme Court and then an attempt to get a twofer, not only to get that appointment, but to get another one, right? and to do it quickly and they there are two things going on here first is is that experts and confirmations know the more you delay something pretty much that that's very damaging to a nominee regardless and you can see with new things coming out all the time that dynamic on steroids here uh so they just want to go and get it through uh but what's really interesting is is that you would think if Brett Kavanaugh was had nothing to worry about, let me not say innocent or guilt around the specific allegations, but nothing to worry about, he would want an FBI investigation. So the fact that he doesn't want one and they don't want one, and they could have already had one, quite frankly, if they, if they, if they, and it's unprecedented not to do one, that even that even if it could not confirm, uh, say uh, what uh, what the specific allegations we're hearing about today in the hearing, it seems likely, plausible, That would confirm a whole lot of other things about drinking culture and about what kind of young man he was. And since they've taken the position that he was pure as the riven snow in this wonderful knight-like figure, they can't really tolerate that. And so there's certainly something circumstantial. They don't want to come out. And so literally, I mean, just the, the unseemliness of, you know, uh, Dr. Blasey Ford is, uh, has named someone else who was in the room why has he not been interviewed? Why this uh, Mark Judge person? Why is he not testifying? Probably because whether or not he can remember this incident or not, and it's entirely possible that this is an asterisk in their lives and then completely, yeah. you know, uh, traumatic and ongoing for Dr. Blasey Ford, right? Uh, but would have to testify to all these other things he and Brett and their circle of friends at Georgetown prep uh, may have may have done in the
0: 80s well that's the key thing here this guy tries to ke- he keeps maintaining he's done nothing and this is yeah. just awful and and i mean pure than whitest you know snow yeah. right on all these these ethical questions which just begs like you just like really come on you know, Spend his time studying Yeah, all the time. Yeah. You know, and, and so that, that immediately calls into question, right, if you're just a discerning individual, all of it. But to be blunt, if you just go over what Rebecca highlighted... How can you not believe them, right? Like, there's no real track record or history of people falsifying these kinds of kinds of things and going through this. And the fact that nobody really, none of these, uh, particularly the first two, and and uh, sought this out or were interested in this. It's it's almost out of civic duty um, that they're they're really talking about I, this. I do think that that is important here. I want to propose something. See if Rebecca agrees. In terms of trusting people,
2: since it's a murky situation by definition. Uh, the right, Fox News, Hannity, Limbaugh, all of them, the, the senators have set up kind of a criminal justice paradigm that says that you have to prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But we're not talking about saying to jail, we're not even talking about taking away his lifetime appointment to the second highest court in the land. We're talking about whether he should have yeah. one of the most important, symbolically important, important to the American people positions that the United States has to offer and i would say the burden of proof is the opposite if there is if if there is reasonable doubt that this may be possible then it's not about him and his resume. It's about the people's right to have a U.S. Supreme Court justice who they can have faith in and and don't believe would uh, and and there cannot be any question about these about these accusations. So if there's, so I think he has to prove beyond reasonable doubt in my mind that all of this is completely made up, and that's a very different standard of proof. I don't know what Rebecca, what you think?
1: You know what happens this week will be a real test as to whether or not you know. The, so many of our societal norms have changed um, since 27 years ago when. Anita Hill testified, um, you know, in the nomination proceedings of Clarence Thomas. I think that, you know, a lot has changed in society, and we'll see now if one of the things that has changed is that we no longer think it is appropriate for someone to have a lifetime appointment on the highest court. Uh, to be someone who's proved to treat treat women as like this um, undercast, you know? And I just like really don't know the answer. It's kind of interesting if you look at, you know, the ways in which the Republican spin machine has been going after this. You know, there's been attempts to discredit the accusers. There's been this um, whole question of timing. Well, why now? This is a smear campaign. Um, but there's also this, like, you know, increasing drumbeat of like, this is really not a big deal, guys. This kind of stuff happens all the time. They were teenagers, it was horseplay. Um, we don't really see the big deal. And you're hearing that more and more. Um, Like, even if it did happen, all while Judge Kavanaugh insists that it didn't, they're saying even if it did happen, that this is not a big deal. And so, uh, you know, I think that there are a lot of people in power who believe that. And so I think this will be a real test as to, you know, whether or not that still um, controls the levers of our political system.
0: I... That's great that you say that. I actually think it's an amazing segue too into wh- how we talk about this at the state legislative level. It's going to come up in terms of our, co- our conversation in the next uh, segment about Rob Brooks here and what he did. And it's the same test, really. Um, so we are going to take a break. Uh, When we get back, we're going to talk very specifically about how we believe this is playing out in in the the state legislative race, Assembly District 60, uh, right after this break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin for Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin for Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before the break, we were talking about the Kavanaugh hearings. Rebecca, I wanted to give you an opportunity to continue.
1: Oh, yeah, I just had a couple like interesting thoughts. I wasn't sure kind of where they fit into the flow. So one of them is that, uh, you know, they're – so I, I mentioned before the break that one of the ways in which they're trying to – the Republican spin machine is trying to go after this um, these happenings is this, like, why now? This is out of nowhere, right, 11th hour, they're trying to derail this really great nomination that we've got going. Um and one of, the, one of the ways in which you know the facts push back on that narrative is that actually Dr. Blasey Ford has been talking about this for a while, and there is a really fascinating article in USA Today, maybe that wasn't the first place that reported it, but that's where I read it, that um, detailed um, three people have come forward from Dr. Blasey Ford's past who, to whom she has told this story. And what I found so striking about... That narrative was that it really is almost like a time capsule for the Me Too movement, where you know in 2013 um, he becomes a federal judge and she's so upset she tells a friend about it. And I think there are a lot of people out there. Um, and our personal networks on social media and, and news articles and blogs and whatever else, you know who are like, hey, like this person assaulted me and then they got elected, or then they got promoted, or then they were lauded in the press in some way, and that can be like really upsetting for folks. But then it gets even more um, flowing into like the power of the Me Too movement and how it's impacted Dr. Blasey Ford and her telling this story, maybe whereas in the past she would not have told this story, which now I think really validates and, and provides crucial proof that we would not have had in the past. So in 2016, she's in a playground watching her kid with another parent, um, and the Brock Turner case had just been in the news, and she was so shaken and so upset that she spoke about her experience, um, you know, in relation to the Brock Turner case to this other dad, right? And then in 2018... You know, when the Supreme Court seat opened up, it was again that, oh, this person might be promoted, he's in the short list, and she confided to that other parent again, and specifically named Brett Kavanaugh. And then the third friend was 2017, um, I guess it was a neighbor of hers, where the neighbor was out walking the dog, and Christine was out. Dr. Ford was outside her house, and Dr. Ford said, hey, I saw a post of the dog-walking friend that you put on social media about your experience with sexual assault. And it was really moving to me. And I just wanted to tell you that this has been my experience. And she opened up again, this is back in 2017, about her experience with Judge Kavanaugh. And so, you know, all uh, so many of those things um are just really like pivotal moments or tropes of the me too movement right having women break the silence on social media and then talking to their friends about it where they wouldn't have in the past or what happened with the brock turner case and the publicity and the backlash um and how that evoked a lot of conversations and so i just found that really interesting um and i think it has a real place in the story um and so I just want to mention that. I, yeah. I had read
0: that same story and heard the same thing. And yeah, I, I was moved by just seeing like, oh, it was these different moments that they were she was able to relay to people. Um was very powerful to watch that, but beautiful way you lay that out, Rebecca. I appreciate that you took the time to say that.
1: And then the other just super quick thing I want to say, because I know we want to talk about Wisconsin. Um, But, you know, so so much of this has to do with um, power and like white male minority rule, but specifically elite white male minority rule. And we see, um, you know, particularly with these prestigious appointments, um, really, really powerful positions that Ivy League degrees are really valued um and you know certainly there's the really amazing story of the child who's homeless but like a savant who ends up being discovered and going to harvard or yale but more often than not you know it's these these wealthy um spoiled um really like terrible kids like george
2: w bush (laughs) kind of thing right yeah
1: yeah yeah who 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 get to go to these prep schools that cost more than your house, right, um, for middle school and high school, and then go to the Ivy League schools and behave badly all along the way. And not not just with women, um, or not just with women that they know in their personal network, but women who are domestic workers in their homes or, um, you know, people of color who are in different caste systems or doing different work around, around their lives. And so... We, we already knew this about Judge Kavanaugh and his disdain for our workers and for people of color and for other people. And it comes through in his interpretation of the law. And I think, you know, the, the trick that Republicans are trying to play right now and that they always try to play or that people in power try to play is like, oh, a judge is, a, you know, an a impartial arbiter of the law. And the law is a sacred thing. But it's not the tablets from Moses, right? It's like a thing created by white men um, that is constantly being changed. To, more slowly than society changes, but it's constantly being changed. And then f- even further, it needs to be interpreted. And we are just continuing to choose these very wealthy white men who come from these like very specific schools and social circles. Um, and I think you know one of the most telling things about this um, story is that you know, the culture at Georgetown Prep and at Yale, everyone knew about, it. I mean, there are TV shows and books and, like, everyone knows about this culture, um, but that it's being, you know, friends and classmates are like, hey, no, th- this kind of stuff really happened. And it's not just Judge Kavanaugh. It's so many of these These are the people who are making decisions about the lives of workers, the lives of all of us. Um, what happened to the banks and the financial collapse? They're people who, like, have spent their entire lives not only being catered to, but like abusing people with impunity, and we all knew it. And so it's like a really interesting moment because we're going to see whether or not it matters in 2018, whereas it didn't matter, like I said, 27 years ago with Anita Hill.
2: Right, and there's really good evidence now, uh, recent scholarship and books, that white Democratic senators were unwilling to grasp the implications with Anita Hill that they were like, well, then all of us could be accused and then our careers would be over kind of attitude, right? So there was a coalescing, even though they had a partisan motive for defeating Clarence Thomas, when they didn't bring all the witnesses forward, when they backed off the way they did, especially Joe Biden. There's been a lot of who may run for president and deny all this. There's been a lot of criticism uh, and and hopefully there's an evolution where we should also be looking at what that senate democrats are saying and they're they're a much more diverse group than the senate republicans a lot more women right and the two swing swingiest votes are women as well um on the republican side uh, murkowski and uh, and collins but what rebecca says about power is extremely important here and it's interesting the thing uh, the senator from uh hawaii um blanking on her name um I'd probably mispronounce it anyway. Um, she's been roundly attacked because she is the one, one person in this process who has stood up and said, this relates back to his judicial philosophy, which is what Rebecca just suggested. Absolutely. And conservatives and right-wingers don't want to hear that. They want to see their criminals on both sides. And here's where there's a, a clear relation, and that is conservative ideology is about privileging people in power and we have a huge power dynamic difference between a Brett Kavanaugh and Hosel's life trajectory, and he has the whole apparatus of the White House and the Senate and the elite that's in the of government behind him, versus this uh, lone professor who, is, who, has had, who has come forward with this story and, is, and has said in her statement, we know from the written transcripts, uh, pre-release, that she's terrified, as anyone would be in this situation. And so that's the difference. The question is, progressive ideology is about leveling the playing field and, giving the, and, and and hearing the powerless. And by the way, the other right-wing equivalency, Rebecca, I'm interested in your thoughts on, is, is that their position, if you turn on Rush Limbaugh or, and, and the like, is literally that if this happens, then every single white male in power is going down because they're all going to get these false accusations. And that Me Too means, any accusation is right, not that people who make accusations, women should make accusations should be listened to and heard, which is a different, totally different thing, I, I think. I mean, I think you'd obviously agree. It's kind of a set-up question, but I just want to hear you talk about it.
1: Well, and the uh, other thing they say is that no one will ever be able to serve because everyone's done terrible things in their past. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, right. you know, it's certainly true that, like, society is changing and norms are changing and how we educate teenagers now and what we expect from them is very different than it was in 1955. Um, and I, I think that the, the Me Too movement is not purely punitive. I think that there's, like... You know, and if there are people listening who feel like ashamed or are realizing something they did in their past is not um does not comport with the person they want to be, then you know, you should go to that person who you've wronged and apologize and not expect anything in return, but give a real apology that acknowledges the harm and what you'll you're doing differently, what you've done differently, and just just acknowledge that as, like really powerful. And I think um, you know, I think there's I I, I, I don't believe that like I do believe that like Things like gang rape are actually really common in college and high school. But I do not believe that every single man who is eligible for a lifetime appointment on the Supreme Court is guilty of gang rape. I'm not saying that um, Judge Kavanaugh is. I'm saying I don't know, which is like a shocking thing to say. Like, I I shouldn't not know that about a nominee. But um, so I I, I think that that's like a really false, false statement for sure.
2: And let me give you an example how this is not now every Supreme Court nominee is just going to have, I mean, this image they have of all of these women apparently out there, they're just ready to, to to sign affidavits and make false charges and destroy their whole lives and risk their whole lives is amazing, right? And offensive at its own level. But, you know, Neil Gorsuch, the other Supreme Court nominee right. who they put through, is from Georgetown Prep. And I right. can tell you because Georgetown Prep is right near where my Aunt Eloise lived, and I ran around it a lot. It is like, it's not like a public school. It's like a fortress. You can't get to it. You can see all the the kids and their blue blazers in the distance, and they're all separated off from the public. So it's symbolically that kind of citadel. So with
0: that, we have to wrap up this section and take a break. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwlive.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. In our first couple segments, we spent a lot of time talking about the Kavanaugh hearing and sort of the broader politic that surrounds it all. And it's an excellent transition to our next guest. We are very fortunate to have a Citizen Action co-op member who is running for state assembly in Assembly District 60. And that is Chris Rolfe. Chris, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thank you guys so much for
0: having me. So, Chris, we've had you on once before and obviously are familiar with your campaign at some level. But for our listeners maybe who didn't didn't get an opportunity to hear that, just remind our listeners a little bit about your district and uh, w- what part of the state we're talking about. And then we'll follow up to talk about what happened this week with uh, Representative Brooks.
3: Sure. Um, so I'm running in District 60, and District 60 includes um, Cedarburg, Port Washington, uh, northern ozaki county and then um there is a portion of the district that is in washington county just to the east of west bend um and then down into jackson as well so it's it's uh, a fairly sizable district it's got a a good combination of uh, suburban areas as as, as well as rural areas
0: and for our listeners i think um we talked about this when you were first on who don't know Chris is running an extraordinarily effective campaign has raised significant resources for what as you've just heard is you know not exactly a democratic area in people's perceptions and has also been running an aggressive field operation uh, so has worked extremely hard uh, to try to run a different kind of race so this week though a huge uh, story broke uh, Chris that I'd like you to tell our listeners a little bit more about as it relates to Representative Rob Brooks and his uh, interactions with three uh, Republican state legislators. Uh, just let our listeners know what happened and, you know, your position on this and how you feel this impacts and why this is so important for for this race and, and for this state.
3: Yes, so uh, my understanding is that um, uh, Representative Brooks was at a meeting in the Dells at a, at a Republican caucus event. And he made some comments, some some um, racist comments to one of his fellow representatives um, saying that he was going to uh, buy everybody drinks except for one uh, state rep because she was Hispanic, and then he proceeded to do just that. And then he also went on to make uh, sexist comments to two other representatives. And this story just broke last week. Um, uh, Governor Walker um, asked for Brooks to uh, resign, um, and he has uh, now um, uh, said he's not going to do that.
0: It's worth pointing out that and Governor Walker's response was very different than the, caucus, the, the Republican caucus leadership. They, uh, when this first came out, basically said, well, he's apologized, and we just wanted to make sure the three people who were um, who this happened to were satisfied, even though, right, like, that's a great deal of pressure. This is the assistant majority leader, and somehow everything was okay, whereas the governor was obviously much st- stronger in this position. Um, this, to me, like, strikes me as if they don't seem to really see this for the gravity that it is. Um, I, I'm curious for your thoughts, and then I guess I'd like to transition after that to, like, the opportunity this is for us to, like, help get you elected,
3: yeah, I think that, um, yes, I mean, I think the, um, the, the Assembly Republicans aren't recognizing, you know, the, the gravity of this. And I think that, you know, certainly while uh, Representative Brooks issued a policy, he then followed up with, you know, but I was drunk. Um, and I don't think that's ever, you know, that's, that's not an excuse for poor behavior. Um, if you rob a convenience store while you're drunk, you still rob the convenience store. Um, and, 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 and another recent article, he has now said, um, but I was drunk and I was also on pain medication. So, you know, I think, I think that, um, as a leader, uh, you're, you're on duty all the time. You know, I served in the military and when you were in the military, you were held accountable for what you did on duty. And then especially for what you did off duty. And I think the same thing applies to our our government leadership. And so, you know, this is a, this is a serious issue. You know, I think that uh, Representative Brooks needs to,
2: to take accountability for his actions. I'm just going to say quickly before Rebecca speaks that the thing about alcohol is very problematic. It's been used as a defense a great deal and addiction to alcohol is a disease. And so we should take that seriously, but you can't hide behind it in these situations when you're a leader either. Alcohol might remove your inhibition so that you express your racist and, and sexist views. It doesn't cause them. It doesn't make you into a racist.
3: Absolutely. You know, and I'm, you know, I certainly had you know one or two beers in the past, and I, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, no amount of alcohol would, would in, in, incite me to say things yes. that I I didn't
1: believe. Um, so, yeah, I, I just want to say a couple couple things about this. I, I'm not sure how much time we have left, but um. Oh great, we have we have some time for me to ramble. Um, you know, the, the first thing I wanna say is, um, this is like a rapid response, all hands on deck situation. You know, this is a seat that Chris has been running a great race this entire time. She's been working her tail off. Yesterday when the news broke, I tried to have a conversation with her and she's like, I'm on the doors, I gotta go in 15 seconds. And we were like talking in between doors and she's really been working very hard. Now this is a race that we, you know, went from like, this is gonna be really, really tough to win to we can win this seat. So I want everyone who's listening who thinks that this um, you know, sexist, racist, incumbent Republican assembly member is someone we should beat with this progressive, veteran, incredible woman candidate to go to Chris Rolfe for assembly.com and donate right now. Um, she's gonna need a lot of money. We talk, we're gonna talk about a little bit. Um with Jeff Smith, who's running in Eau Claire, um, but in order to reach voters and make sure that they are hearing from the candidate, we got to knock on doors, we got to make phone calls, but they also need to send mail. And so, you know, grassroots fundraising. You know, as, as Robert always says, the only thing that, uh, you know, the only the only thing that helps democracy is more democracy, and the only way we're going to beat, you know, organized money is with organized people, and we need organized people to give a little bit of money. So, if everyone could do that, we're going to have a canvas on Saturday as well at 9 a.m. I'm going to convince Matt to give me a ride. So, so. <laughs> you don't have to drive. We're
0: carpooling
1: they are carpooling There's a Facebook event That Citizen Action has shared Working Families Party Has blasted it out um, But this is I'm telling you All hands on deck Donate Knock on doors um, we, Chris can win And we gotta get her through Over the next several weeks Um Well, one thing I want to say, just like an interesting note, you know, after 2016, with the Bernie revolution, with, um, you know, Hillary Clinton's campaign, and then with Trump winning the election, you know, we've seen a huge number of women running. We've seen a huge number of progressives running. But something else that we've seen is that progressives particularly progressive women but progressives generally are running everywhere and running to win and typically the establishment has said oh you can't win in that district or you know that's that candidate's not viable or those doors or that community is not worth knocking on and what I love about chris is she is somebody like many candidates across the country who fiercely rejects that narrative and she is knocking on doors of people who haven't been talked to in 15 years she's knocking in communities that aren't usually part of the typical game plan and I think that is like so important and and this is one of the reasons why first of all people deserve to be talked to they deserve to be engaged but second of all you never know what's going to happen and now we have a candidate who just stepped down from his leadership position and you know maybe he'll step down from the race overall but even if he doesn't we could beat him um, but we can't beat him without, you know, supporting Chris with, with money and door knocks, um, particularly because, you know, what we're seeing, and you mentioned the Republican leadership, but what we're seeing generally is that the patriarchy is kind of closing ranks around Brooks. So I know there was an article today in the local paper, front page story, that was very um, complimentary to Representative Brooks um, and painted him in a good light. And so we really need to do everything we can to balance that out.
2: And maybe Chris could provide context on this. The story, I understand it, Chris, literally says that uh oh well it was a couple hours one night we shouldn't hold it against him something along those lines
3: yes i think he was quoted as saying you know a half hour in a bar shouldn't undo you know all the good work i've done um so you know i think that really goes to what we why we're running this is why we're we're running so hard and we're fighting so hard because we really do believe that our leadership, we, we deserve better. We deserve better um, leaders. We deserve people that put voters first. We, we believe, uh, you know, we, we deserve people that treat everyone with respect all the time. And, and, and that's why we're fighting, that's why we're running. So I appreciate any support that, that folks can provide.
0: That's, that's the other thing. When you have, and Rebecca, you mentioned this, when you have a candidate like Chris who is prepared also has raised the resources so you're going to be able to get a message out right you're going to be able to get out your message and so when you go out and volunteer or donate to Chris you it's you're, you're building on something that's already big and powerful and and is going to make a difference this fall so it's critical that we provide that extra lift I'm looking forward to coming up to Port Washington uh, this this Saturday and again want to encourage our listeners Port Washington, we'll have all the details. We're going to start at 9 a.m., go hit the doors, uh, come meet Rebecca and myself. Robert, are you going to be there?
2: Well, I'm going to be in Eau Claire, Matt. Oh, so I, that's I right. Sorry. Not, oh, not, you won't be there. may not be capable of being in <laughs> both places at once.
0: Anyways, well, Chris, we thank you so much for coming on and talking about this and, of course, running the kind of race you're running.
3: Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate all the support that you guys have given us.
0: And with that, we got to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. When we return, we'll be joined by Jeff Smith, Citizen Action organizer running for Senate in the Eau Claire area. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are very excited to have Citizen Action Organizer and candidate for State Senate uh, Assembly District 31, which
1: we've
0: we've talked about uh, (laughs) up in the Eau Claire and Western Wisconsin area. That is uh, Jeff Smith. Jeff, thanks for joining us today.
4: Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Well, so Jeff won a, a very contested primary handily and now has... He, his uh, reward for that uh, winning that contested <laughs> primary is another deeply contested general election. Uh, for folks who don't know, this is a pretty 50-50 kind of seat. as uh, was held by Kathleen Out uh, And Jeff, you have an opponent and a big battle on your hands. Give our listeners a, a quick summary of what you face.
4: Sure. We do have a, a big battle in front of us. Uh, this is a seat that Kathleen Beinout has has historically had very slim margins. All three of the elections. So we intend to win. We need to win. If we are going to um, complete our mission as Democrats of gaining the majority in the state Senate, we have to win this seat. So it's very critical. Republicans know it, too. I was recently told that uh, Republicans have kind of targeted this seat as maybe one they can take away from us. So we know we have a battle in front of us and we're ready for it. I am, I enjoy that and it gives me a great chance to get out and talk to voters. It's what I enjoy the most.
0: So often, you know, there's, I sort of think of three key things in a, you know, fundamentals. One is you have to have a really good candidate that people know and trust and you feel share your values. And Jeff is definitely that. Uh, and I think we all know that about you, Jeff. Uh, the, the other two things, though, in a campaign are fundament, fundamental things are, Uh, Around contacting voters and that is done a lot uh, through all kinds of things, whether it be mail, digital these days, radio, TV, but also doors. And there are two fundamentals to that that we really want our listeners and other folks to, to really help Jeff out. Jeff, that starts with the doors, and that is something that was critical to your primary win and will be central to your general win. Uh, let our listeners know about how they can get involved in helping you in that critical component. Doors, phones, all of that.
4: Yeah, so let's well, start with doors I, because it's my favorite part of the campaign. So we have a, certainly have a fairly rural district outside of the city of Eau Claire. The largest uh, municipality is 7,000, and most of them are around one to 2,000. And then, of course, all of the rural farms and areas that we're, we can't reach uh, on foot. So we are having canvassing in those uh, villages and cities every Saturday. We start at 10 in the morning, um, but let us know ahead of time if someone wants to come and we, and we can uh, t- help assign. It helps us plan and assign people to certain places we're going, mostly in the city of Eau Claire. Um, for most people who come to join us beyond that we have to reach all of those voters that we can't walk to so we have to have a mail program we have a mail program in our in our sites but we have to afford it it's very costly to send mail in our senate district of of uh, 160,000 citizens so that said that's why we have to raise money. And we'd also like to even add a little radio in there, too, which is also very expensive. So that when you talk about money in politics, I agree we got to get it out of politics. But you also want to be sure you pay people for the work that they do. So that's important to me, to be sure that we pay the bills and we are able to get to every voter. And the only way we can do that is beyond canvassing, is we have to send that mail out. And it has to come directly from the candidate, which is me. I think that's far more important than the outside groups and what they send to people and and uh, get people riled up about.
0: So to that end, uh, Jeff has a number of fundraisers. Uh, you've been doing a number of fundraisers, not only in the Eau Claire area but in other parts of the state. Uh, and we are uh, joined forces with uh, Chris Larson, uh, Senator Latanya Johnson. Uh, and a number of other organizations uh, here to do a fundraiser for you next Thursday here in Milwaukee. It's actually going to be in Wauwatosa at uh, the Big Head Brewery, um, which is on essentially uh, 62nd and State Street. Um, So we're really glad you're going to be able to come. It'll start at 5 o'clock. Jeff, any other uh, fundraisers or other opportunities uh, for folks to donate to you?
4: Yeah, well, of course, you can donate to me by going to our website, togetherwithjust.com. And we do have, a, even tonight, we have one in Maiden Rock, which is a tiny little uh, municipality along the river in one of the most beautiful areas of the state. Then next week on Wednesday, we will be in Jackson County for a fundraiser being hosted by some of the candidates from that district, the 92nd Assembly District. I'm really excited to work with them. That's one of the things I just do want to drop, that we are, we are a campaign that believes in everyone winning up and down the ticket. And we're doing all we can to help every candidate wherever we go, whatever district we're in, we're carrying their lit as well as our own. So it's really important that we all do well. And so that said, I am really excited about coming down to Milwaukee next Thursday. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun to meet up with old friends, and, and I know I have friends down there, and I'd like to make them some new friends. So for us, <laughs> turn this into the majority and get your great Senator Latanya Johnson and and uh, Chris Larson and Tim Carpenter and others uh, into the majority. We have to win this seat so you can help your own senators by helping me.
0: So thank you, Jeff. We look forward to uh, seeing you next Thursday, and we appreciate that you took the time to join us uh, today. I know you have an extremely busy schedule Uh, And we want to encourage our listeners, get out and help Jeff. We have uh, Get Out There Saturday. Uh, Go down to the office there in Eau Claire. We have the address on our site uh, and they can help you all day. Thanks a ton, Jeff.
4: All right. Thank you all.
0: So we're really glad that Jeff Smith could join us and uh, give us a little update on his campaign. But next, uh, we have another guest. Uh, We're really excited to have Chris Lennon. She's a Co-op member here, and very, very active. In fact, one of the top leaders in our Fair Maps or, or, or uh, in our Fair Maps coalition here, of members who have been working uh, just tirelessly on trying to get this issue out in the public for a couple of years now and uh, have a big event coming up in uh, Senate District 5 in Wauwatosa uh, around a town hall. So Chris, uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, tell our listeners a little bit about this event that uh, y'all have been working with uh, Wisconsin Democracy Campaign to put together.
5: Well, Matt, thanks so much for having us. Um, Yes, on October the 6th, we, um, the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign is sponsoring a town hall that will be hosted by Underwood Memorial Baptist Church. Uh, the location is 1916 Wauwatosa Avenue in Milwaukee. Um, the zip is 53213 to help you with directions. Um, The doors will open at 12.30, and the program will begin at 12.45 and run until 2.15. Um, The purpose of this town hall is to bring um, citizens up to date on the Supreme Court's non-definitive ruling on Gil B. Whitford. Matt Matt Rothschild is the speaker. Um, He's with the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. He'll be addressing what the um, non-definitive ruling means and how we move forward. Um, It's vital in this election process to address to any candidate throughout the state where they stand on um, vote, uh, fair district voting maps. Over the years, a number of representatives have brought forth legislative efforts to try to get this changed um, from the drawings being handled by the legislators themselves and putting it into something more like the Iowa model, which is a nonpartisan um, group that would draw the maps and then our state legislatures would um, vote on them for approval. This is such a nonpartisan um, uh, issue, folks. I, I can't make it um, stress that enough. Pendulum swing. Right now, Republicans are in um, power. Um, before 2010, Democrats were in power. This is going to swing back and forth, and it's going to continue to happen. The only way for us to have a balanced and fair shot at a balanced and fair government in our state is to have district voting map in 2013 this probably the gerrymandering issue really started to gain some momentum not only in wisconsin but across the country here in wisconsin uh, taylor county um, in 2013 passed the first county board resolution supporting a nonpartisan approach to drawing our maps Since that time, in the past five years, we now have 41 Wisconsin counties who have passed similar resolutions. This represents 73% of eligible voters in our state. So to say that the people in our state aren't interested in this issue is... Would would be a ridiculous statement. I mean, the the momentum is with the people on
0: this. We totally agree, and we're really excited to you know be uh, sub partners with Wisconsin Democracy Campaign to get folks out. Chris, we got to run. We got to wrap up the segment, but want to thank you for coming and educating folks about this town hall. Uh, again, October sixth. Doors open at twelve thirty. And we'll have, we'll have all the details on our website to make sure you can uh, get out. Um, but uh, one other thing I want to underscore, this is in Senate District 5, so we'll have some, hopefully have uh, some local electeds there to respond to how they feel. Chris, thank you so much for leading on this work, and thanks for joining us today to educate our listeners about the event.
5: No problem, Matt. Thank you so much for all you do to uh, keep the word out on the many issues that Wisconsin faces.
0: All right, Chris. We'll see you on the sixth, folks. We got to run. Uh, that wraps up our show. We want to thank all of our guests, which include Chris Rolf running ag- against uh, running in Assembly District sixty, and of course Jeff Smith, Senate District uh, thirty one, and Chris Lennon for joining us here. Get on out on October sixth to that Fair Maps event. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We'll see you next week.